When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. This is Joe. Hi, hello. Before we dive into today's episode, just wanted to remind y'all to make sure you rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, follow us on social media. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. And then, of course, if you want to reach out and chat with us, if you have a question about something from an episode or a suggestion for the future, make sure you send us an email. Our email is professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. With that, let's get into the episode. Well, hey, y'all, on today, uh, you saw the title, you know what you're in for. It's Twilight Part 2. So you better believe I have Emma and Jill here today so we can dive into what's left of this series. I have so much to say already. <laughs> and I know, so I think we're focusing on the next two books in the series, right? Mm-hmm. Eclipse mm-hmm. and Breaking Dawn. I will also say we just throw the short second life of Brie Tanner in there if we can. Yes. If we if we have the time. <laughs> if, we have, if we have the time. And then if we uh, get through all that and we have no time left, uh, you might be stuck with a part three in which we talk about Midnight Sun and Life and Death. Because we have to talk about life and death. And I feel like that doesn't, <laughs> if we don't have time today, we're we'll going to have time. to do a part three. <laughs> I have and so much to say. I also have so much to say. I first want to say I went from reading none of these books to <laughs> having read all of them, including some of some of the trash like life and death. But Oh, um, well, today uh, we're going to talk about Eclipse, uh, Brie Tanner, and Breaking Dawn. I also have some fun facts to intersperse throughout. Uh, we'll, we'll start with the first one. Uh, fun fact from the book, when Stephanie Meyer began writing the first book, she didn't have names for Edward and Bella yet, so she just called them he and she. Could you imagine like an entire book just with that? Like, what if she just like never named them? <laughs> What if are there scenes where she forgot to change it back? Oh, without <laughs> a didn't doubt. Notice. I love that she basically was writing insert your name here fan fiction and published it and just thankfully remembered to change the names. But that it was like any man and any woman go forth. Do we want to do a brief joke? Because yeah. you're probably more prepared. I've got overview of the plot. Absolutely. So let's look at Eclipse. So in Eclipse, we've got a string of vampire attacks from Victoria's army of newborn vampires. She's trying to take down Bella as mu- and as much of the Cullen coven as she can. Edward and Jacob must work together to protect Bella, their families, and their homes, while still vying for her heart. Bella finally chooses to stay with Edward and agrees to marry him to Jacob's disappointment. 
Parallel to this in the novella, The Short Second Life of Brie Tanner, maybe the best book that she has ever written. Uh, it follows the eclipse plot following newborn vampire Brie as her group sets out to attack the Cullens and werewolf grouping. The novella heavily influences the eclipse film. Okay, so uh, the back of the book description for Eclipse says, Bella, Edward's soft voice came from behind me. I turned to see him spring lightly up the porch steps, his hair windblown from running. He pulled me into his arms at once and kissed me again. His kiss frightened me. There was too much tension, too strong an edge to the way his lips crushed mine. Like he was afraid, we only had so much time left to us. As Seattle is ravaged by a string of mysterious killings and a malicious vampire continues her quest for revenge, Bella once again finds herself surrounded by danger. In the midst of it all, she is forced to choose between her love for Edward and her friendship with Jacob, knowing that her decision has the potential to ignite the ageless struggle between vampire and werewolf. With her graduation approaching, Bella has one more decision to make, life or death. But which is which? Following the international bestsellers Twilight and New Moon, Eclipse is the much-anticipated third book in Stephanie Meyer's captivating saga of vampire romance. Which is which? Which is which? <laughs> literally, literally. That's gonna... the sentence is, but which is which? <laughs> I'm gonna go ahead and say that Eclipse is the worst one Absolutely. of the series. I would agree. I would agree. I mean... Yeah, so I think this is def this is definitely just this book just gets you from, you know, point A to point B. Mm -hmm. It, but this I don't know if this contributes much. Like she's just obsessed with Edward. There's like the whole love triangle thing that at this point, like, yeah, you, it's like an you odd care for Jacob, but like you're not in love with him. So like right. all these confusing feelings you're having, you're just like messing with everyone. I, it, ugh. It's a very odd carryover to like, it, it's like she looked and said, New Moon was kind of wild in what I was trying to write. So I want to bring some of that Twilight energy back. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I don't know. It's almost like an apology novel. <laughs> well, and like the, what's weird is like so much of this book is spent on the love triangle that by the time mm -hmm. we get to the actual action of Victoria and Riley and this army of new vampires, it's like three seconds at the end and then that's it. Yeah. Right. It's I a whole book spent. <sighs> I with her know, like, being hoping, right. yeah, just hopelessly in love with Edward and like unsure what to do about it. That's been like the first two books, so like, yeah, it <laughs> yeah, make any sense? She's a terrible cute. role model. <laughs> it's also but why I, I asked the question: <laughs> why? Why did anyone think when these were coming out that there was? A love triangle that's why that was like I think my first question ever because the like I even think about the movie in in Twilight it the whole starting with to lay down your own life for someone else like for the person you love she says right there she would rather die than let something happen to Edward I'm gonna say her mind was made up I 
I think it's like projection. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. I was, I, cause I, I think I loved Jacob. I was team Jacob. But, yeah. Sure. But, and so I think it's a lot of projection of like wanting her to end up with Jacob because yes. you know, Edward is trash. Yes. Uh, that also gives me a great segue for another fun fact from the books. Stephanie is team Jacob. Huh? <laughs> According to some research I did on Google and reading several articles, Stephanie Meyer is Team Jacob. That doesn't make any sense. So, I mean, to be fair, though, Bella's also kind of trash. So, like, yes, Jacob probably didn't deserve her or she didn't deserve Jacob as it was. Yes, yes, absolutely. So. So... What stood out to me about this book the most in just like doing a quick reread, some skimming to get like back in the mindset of what this was like when I read it, you know, as a teen, her behavior is terrible. (laughs) Like she, the, in one of the early chapters, like chapter one or two, she makes mention to Edward about how, when he left, you know, she doesn't like to bring it up because, oh, she knows he feels so bad about like when he left her and all the things, whatever. She says something about how, like, if she had been less mental, his plan to leave would have worked more successfully or something. And she like puts so (sighs) much of, of she owns all of it. Yeah. He owns all of it. Like it's, he has no blame. He has no fault. He was trying to do the right thing. And that to me, like you're no, your obsession is unhealthy. It's not a good example. You are, it's not romantic. It's an abusive relationship. (laughs) What you think I'll say it. Yeah. Yeah. And that it, but that in the, in the context of the book, everything she does and says is like normal. Like they think like, right. oh yeah, that's Correct. fine. Like that's how you're supposed to respond. And so looking sure. at it now, you're just like, what on earth? It's yeah. it's very interesting because you look at her parents' situation, married very mm-hmm. young, which I don't, I, I think anyone can make a choice at any point in their life. Like there's, I'm making no shame at that, but they were clearly not well suited for each other and just kind of decided to run with it. That's fine. But then they never healed from that. It seems like Charlie always kind of stayed the same, never decided to discover love again. Although I believe they pushed that at the end of Breaking Dawn, right? Okay. So we'll get to, I guess we'll get to Sue Clearwater in a, in a bit, but <laughs> Um, and, and Renee, it's kind of a similar thing with her. She only grew up because Bella spent her lifetime parenting her. So she has zero healthy examples because she was the example for both parents. And on one hand, she was forcing Charlie to remember how to live life again. And on, on the other hand, with her mother, she was keeping her in line. I mean, the, the selfishness from both parents astounds me. You look at, Renee not letting her have pets until she could until she discovered that there were slow release food tablets for fish like because she didn't want to be tied down she wanted to always make sure that her happiness was first 
Which and is... I, now I'm not a parent, so I can't say what I would do, but I don't know. Emma, can you imagine? No. Like... Uh, no. <laughs> I'm turning uh, no. to the Renee... other parent, the only parent on here. Yeah, really. <laughs> Renee is not a good, I have in my notes, Renee isn't a good role model. I mean, Charlie's mm-hmm. not necessarily a great role model either. I will give him some credit for like, I guess being more he does reliable know, and he right. does try like especially in eclipse he wants her to have that balance he's like how is it going are you seeing all of your friends like not yes. just jacob not just edward like you need to have people like a, a nice network of people um you know and he generally i say this with like a little bit of an eye roll generally like cares where she's at right you know and like kind of tries to give her some semblance of like structure but again like he he's parenting her when she's like 18 so you know a little late you're a little bit late (laughs) I would say like as a as a parent I was actually talking about this with my husband this weekend nothing is about me anymore it's 100% about my son and Mm -hmm. I can only speak for my experience of what it's been like for me to be a parent, it's about him for me. Um, Mm -hmm. and that's it. So are there a lot of times where like things are inconvenient? Um, yes, (laughs) but that, but that's, it doesn't matter. It's not about my convenience or whatever. Like it's about Mm -hmm. making sure that he is happy and healthy and stable and taken care of. And if it's inconvenient for me, well, that's the choice I made when I decided to have kids. Yeah. Right. So, I wanted I wanted to highlight what you just said um, about Charlie kind of laying some ground rules at the top of Eclipse. We see Bella fully grounded because she disappeared to Italy uh, in New Moon. If if you recall, she uh, just fine. Who just who hasn't done that? Oh my god! I mean, yeah. I know. I I all of my money that I earned from you know illegally trading on the stock market because I'm a psychic. Yeah, that just just if none of y'all who are listening know that is how the Cullens have their money. They use Alice's gift for wealth. Um, Just uh, FYI. Call call back to Back to the Future, Jill (laughs) and the Almanac. Sports Almanac. So um, at the at the start, Bella is grounded and like heavily grounded. She's allowed to go to school. But Charlie also realizes that kind of like Emma said, he's parenting an adult at this point. And the person that he desperately wants to keep her away from is Edward. And she spends her whole school day with Edward and him grounding her keeps her from just seeing people other than him. So he says, I will lift your, you know, kind of confinement as long as you see all of your friends. And, and you're right, Emma, as far as like bad parents go, he like just skirts out of the border of being a bad parent. He knows how to establish guidelines. He may be fully emotionally stunted, but he's still trying his best. Um, But, but he also exhibits a lot of selfishness. I think it's one of those things where because these are books written for teenagers and Bella Mm -hmm. is our point of view character into this world, it's Mm -hmm. sort of like thinking as a teenager, like, oh, there's like the cool hip parent who doesn't set any boundaries. (laughs) And then the one who does try 
to set boundaries is so mean and terrible. And it reading it later, you're like, oh no, he actually he was he's trying to do okay. And he was trying his best. He was really trying. He was trying. It's yeah. also interesting because the only the only like foil of parents we see are the Cullens, mm-hmm. who are immortal beings turned at I don't know how old are Carlisle and Carlisle's twenty three. <laughs> right. And they're not like parents. Like they didn't Right. Right. They're like the parental figures. They're the parental figures. They they're this. parental figures and they are the most nurturing characters i suppose we see like yeah and, yeah and uh, like yeah. some heavy air quotes around that but carlisle is sort of like the way that they portray him in these books he's like the peak father figure like mm-hmm. he's right. make like he's taking care of the household he's making decisions he right. like he i think he's the most i don't know like He's, he's the, the biggest father the figure yes. yeah that we see you know where charlie is a little bit more passive um carlisle is not he's very like in, he knows what's in what the situation. He's in the situation he's helping them figure it out whatever like yeah. choices he makes he's very much the person they seem to go to when something goes wrong which i think is interesting um I will say, can we talk about this quick? Because we're talking about the parents. When they go visit Renee in Florida, how, how, how at any point, especially in the context of the film where he's so very apparently sparkly and in the book, how does he go to Florida with nary a person noticing how? Please explain. (laughs) And he's like sitting indoors in the film and in the, like he's sitting indoors, so he's like not in direct sun. No, how? Right. Please explain that plot point to me. I will never understand because I also think of in the books, uh, both just the the main series and in Brie Tanner, when they describe people actually seeing a vampire sparkle for the yeah. first time it's shocking like Mm -hmm. that that's how she undoes the like mythology of vampires bursting in sunlight because the reflection is so bright and like awe-striking that it looks like they have caught fire and Mm -hmm. in both the first time that Bella sees it in Twilight and in Brie Tanner they both characters ask if the vampire in the sun is in pain does that hurt because it's so alarming compared to he just was on an episode of euphoria right and was a little bit sparkly a yeah. little bit little bit of glitter so that's i don't understand that plot point in the slightest how yeah. they even made that work and then she's bella's having a conversation with her mom in florida and her mom is more observant than charlie i guess <laughs> was like the whole thing and it's putting bella on edge because she knows her mom can like pick up on there's something between them that she can't quite put her finger on. And she, she has this whole speech about how, like when Bella moves, he moves and then like vice versa, they're just like very aware of each other. They're like satellites or magnets or whatever. And all she says about it is like, it's intense or it's like, right. That's a lot kiddo. Like that's a lot. Um, Huh? Like, right. 
And then later when she brings that up, mm-hmm. uh, she's yeah. like, oh, I knew then that you two were going to get married. This well, is a person who got married young in Forks, had a terrible experience and has nothing to say about it. Also, right. a- a- since your daughter started hanging out with him, she's been more injured than ever in her life. Well, yeah. and it's like, it's like almost her, like, I don't want to use, I'm going to use spidey senses or like parental senses. It's like <laughs> Renee is all, like, she's picking up on it, but then she doesn't know what to do with it. Right. And so then it's like, she sort of tries to have this conversation and Bella dismisses it. She's like, oh mom, you like, <laughs> you're so weird. Have We're you been young. reading mysteries again? Like you should stick to romance. <laughs> like there's a whole exchange, like, oh mom, stop reading your thrillers. Like, and you're just. <laughs> And then, yeah, that it's, it's like, she sort of, this could have been such a nice, like parental bonding moment. And I I think Jill, to your point, like, yeah, we're reading this from Bella's perspective. So like, she was always just going to be focused on Edward and that was that, but just from like a, you know, being more satisfied with the, the way that these relationships play out in this book, how nice would that have been if that moment was a little bit more flushed out or a little bit more like helpful, like, as you said, Joe, she got married young. It didn't work out. It, it was obviously traumatic for both Renee and Charlie. Could she have tried to, in that moment, actually share her experience with her daughter in a way that was meaningful? Like you said, a parental moment where they could learn like, or grow together. It would at least give Bella something to consider. Yeah. Instead, Bella just internalizes her parents' experience and treats it as... I don't know, it read to me kind of like a coming out moment when she had to finally tell Renee that she was going to marry Edward Mm -hmm. and she was just afraid of judgment, persecution, all of these things because, well, you, you got young, you got married young, you wouldn't want me to do the same thing. And it's like, you know your mother so well until the the point that like, I don't know, it just, there was, there was dissonance for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely one of those things where like you wish you could get more of like what Renee was insane. And sort of like what she was thinking about everything. Right. Just a more real parent-child interaction. Like there are plenty of free-spirited mom characters out in the world that I I think it could have been, I mean, look how big that book is. Look how big that dumb book is. I know, I'm holding it. And she couldn't take like a page and a half to have one real genuine conversation. Yeah. (laughs) And what's wild, I'm going to read it because this this is wild to me. Bella and her mom are having this conversation And Bella is so good at managing her mother. She immediately like turns it and says, mom, like you're reading, you're reading mysteries again, aren't you? Um, And they kind of just deflect it. And she says, you should, you know, keep, keep, stick to romance, mom, you know how to freak yourself out. And then Bella's like internal thoughts. um, Renee was so easily swayed. Sometimes it was a good thing because not all of her ideas were practical, but it pained me to see how quickly she caved into my trivializing especially since she was dead right this time so even bella knows that her mom is being perceptive and picking up that something's not there's more to this what is this like she wants her daughter to confide in her and bella knows how to work her mom to the point where she can just 
distract her away from her instincts right and and admits that her mother caves in too quickly to the like just it's it's wild it's a wild dynamic to read about now as an adult (laughs) well and look at that trauma response she just wants her mom to actually care about her for once like (laughs) that's uh uh but she's also become really good at manipulating yeah it's yeah that's like I don't like throwing this term around very often, but it's gaslighting. Like if your mom is like, this is what this seems like. And you're like, no, it's not. But in your mind, you're like, no, that's totally what it is. (laughs) Right. That's, that's, that's gaslighting. I think it's an appropriate time to use that word because it's so clear. Uh, Children, if you are reading this today, read this as what not to, this is gaslighting. Here are your examples, pull out your highlighters. Like there's a different reason for kids to read these books now. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Well, and so what's interesting to me is like, I don't know if, I think it's rare that I probably recommend the TV adaptation or the film adaptation over the book. In this case, I would have hundred percent recommend the films only because there's so much more over the top and campy mm-hmm. that I don't know if there's a way for you to truly take them seriously. Yeah. Whereas right. with the book, you may take some of that maybe more to, to heart. heart. Yeah. Um, and I would just say, no, like, no, do not. With the movies, take that for what you will, which is ridiculousness to a <laughs> catchy soundtrack. Mm, like, <laughs> I'm going to mention it because it's funny. In the Eclipse movie, when we first see Taylor Lautner, Jacob Black, and he has like his short spiky haircut, he, there's like in like music, like blasting. He has like a serious look on his face. I, I don't remember. It was probably raining or something. I feel like it's always raining with him. Or like, you know. <laughs> so just, he can glisten. So he can glisten. His muscles can glisten. Everything about every choice that they make for Jacob in the films is hilarious and like spot on. I would just recommend the the movies. <laughs> that also gives me an opportunity for a movie fun fact. Taylor Lautner was almost recast in New Moon. He gained over 25 pounds of muscle before filming to keep the role. Yeah. Yeah. He yeah was, they okay. wanted him to be because the scrawny. transformation, he was too scrawny and like too young looking. They wanted to recast him for somebody older and more muscly. And he was like, hold my, hold my protein shake, (laughs) hold my protein shake. Like, yeah, it was. And then I mean, yeah, it's wild. And I'm with you, Emma. I think the movies are perfect because they're camp and they're also a high level storyline. It's an outline. It's everything that actually happens in the books. You miss nothing from what is cut out what is a 24-hour audiobook being condensed into like an hour and a half movie and you lose zero percent of things like everything is in there because Mm -hmm. everything that's not in there is the gaslighting is the garbage is the like expositional nonsense fluff of their terrible relationship Um, but also speaking of the movies I wanted to just quick blow through Brie Tanner. So newly turned vampire Brie Tanner lives in terror and must find her way out of untold danger in this pulse pounding novella. Can't be a novella. It's too long. A companion to (laughs) Eclipse. 
Brie Tanner, a self-described vampire nerd, first introduced in Eclipse, lives in terror of a coven of newborn vampires. She's a member of Victoria's army. And as that army closes in on Bella Swan and the Cullens, she finds her first friend and discovers a truth about daylight. While fans may know how it ends, they don't yet have the full story. Bree's tale of danger, mystery, and romance is one for the books. Uh, truly a better love story than Twilight. I actually forgot there was a love story in that novella. Yeah. Um, so <sighs> if you are curious of like, I think if anything, I would have criticized the Eclipse movie for after having read the book. Like, there's so much here. Why are they making scenes up? That's usually my book to movie adaptation critique. Like, why did mm-hmm. you need to make something new when you forgot everything? They didn't actually make anything new up. They just took things from Brie Tanner and threw it into the Eclipse movie. The Volturi in the beginning, checking on the newborns and doing mm-hmm. nothing about it. That happens in Brie Tanner. We actually see Jane at all at some point earlier and the the thing that I struggle with is like she gained she gained that knowledge. Edward gets that knowledge from her at the end before Jane kills her. Like it was a very fascinating read. Uh, it is basically just what it what was happening in Seattle in kind of quick succession as Bree was trying to escape with this vampire that she falls in love with, but then he's found out she thinks she's going to meet him but ends up at the battlefield and yeah once they smell bella's blood as much control as she has she's still forced to track and try to get to her um they also had a very interesting character in there i i can't think of his name right now but he had the ability to make himself seem disgusting to others so similar to it's something we see in midnight sun so we'll talk about it later but jasper has the ability of course to control emotions he can also use that to say oh don't look over here i'm very boring this dude seemed to have that but he could only control if people were repulsed by him or not and what degree that went to uh so it was very helpful for brie as she was trying to survive this intense coven of newborns who like were ripping Mm. each other apart um also interesting of like you could rip off a vampire's limb and like flame the limb and now they will be without whatever it was so very fascinating uh also fascinating to see of like yeah no i know she alludes to it but brie tanner solidifies that like if you don't burn vampire parts they can indeed reform back together um but yeah so Anyway, how do we wrap up Eclipse? (laughs) I wish so much of this was in actual Eclipse. Because so much of this book is just the like hemming and hawing over Jacob and Edward. Actual real action. And a separate perspective. (laughs) Right. Give us plot. And an actual second perspective would have made the transition to Breaking Dawn when we have so much Jacob time a little less jarring. If she had just, if she had just like, intersectioned in like here's a here's a moment with Brie like just to take a paragraph and then she could still sell her novella later where she expanded it but like you're absolutely right Emma it would have been so much better to have just just a touch more you can't throw a new narrator in the fourth book of a four book series just thank you yeah (laughs) you can't oh yeah so So, yeah are we done with 
Has I the guess, sun set on eclipse? <laughs> we're, like... we're, we're about to break yeah, dawn. The moon. Um, I, I guess we should uh, quick wrap up and just say that like eclipse, uh, all of this happens. Boo, we hate it. Worst one. Um, <laughs> it, it, Worst one. It culminates in uh, Jacob, Edward, and Bella in a tent. Uh, Bella's cold. <laughs> oh, yeah. Jacob's hot. Edward's jealous. Oh, yeah. Uh, then there's a battle scene which there's is the- really anticlimactic because shocker we wasted all this time worrying about the battle and nothing happens the 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 best part one of the best parts of the film is the when they're preparing for the battle scene and they're like doing training that is absolutely the that's best a scene great in the film. that's a great scene but then yeah like the newborns have no idea what they're walking into surprise they have these experienced vampires surprise they have werewolves whoop-de-doo surprise victoria doesn't care about you and then <laughs> she gets killed and riley gets killed and whoop-de-doo in the most anticlimactic ending possible yeah. uh also bummed that there wasn't more of jacob being injured in the movie but that's just a slight <laughs> gripe of like oh it, it would have been fascinating to be like hey you know because i feel like that helped the the tribe be more accepting of Carlisle down the line. So yeah. Cam, who played James, was initially cast as Emmett in the films. Uh-huh. Cam Gigande? Yep. No. Yeah, he was initially cast as Emmett. Weird. Yes. <laughs> Weird. Also, uh, just another one. Uh, Haley Williams wrote Paramore's Decode about Bella and Edward. She was a huge Twilight fan before being asked to work on the soundtrack. So she jumped at the chance to write a song for it. What? That's wild. The soundtracks are so good, though. The soundtracks are so good. Um, I'm just like, I just want to share some of these. Let's see. Uh, So Stephanie Meyer originally wanted Henry Cavill to play Edward. But by 2007, he was much too old for the role. Although (laughs) I'd watch that man anytime in anything. He could have done it. I I would like to see it. Like Robert Pattinson wasn't also older. Like, give me a break. What's the line? She also had Tom Sturridge, Logan Lerman, and Orlando Bloom on her list. Okay, Orlando was too old. Uh, Orlando was definitely too That's old. That's my and, line. <laughs> and Logan Lerman, he's the one who was in like every Disney Channel movie, right? Or yeah, is he 13 perks. Reasons Why? No. Oh, Perks. He was in per- Perks. Yeah, Perks. And um, what else? Is he, he was Percy Jackson? He was Percy yes, Jackson. He was Percy Jackson. Yeah. Uh, which can't wait to see the new series on Disney Plus. Uh, as for Bella, she wanted Emily Browning first or Elliot Page, Daniel Panabaker, Alexis Bledel, Rachel McAdams, Anna Paquin, uh, and both Jennifer Lawrence and Lily Collins were considered to play Bella. No. I know. I know. No. I guess we'll let the sun set on eclipse. Yeah. And let's go into Breaking Dawn. As the series ends with Breaking Dawn, where Bella and Edward get married and Bella is pregnant, then turned to survive after delivering Rigatoni, the Volturi come to pass judgment after a misunderstanding, or maybe more than that. In the explosive finale to the epic romantic saga, Bella has one final choice to make. Should she stay mortal and strengthen her connection to the werewolves or leave it all behind to become a vampire? When you loved the one who was killing you, it left you no options. How could you run? How could you fight? 
when doing so would hurt that beloved one. If your life was all you had to give, how could you not give it? If it was someone you truly loved? To be irrevocably in love with a vampire is both fantasy and nightmare woven into a dangerously heightened reality for Bella Swan, pulled in one direction by her intense passion for Edward Cullen, and in another by her profound connection to werewolf Jacob Black, a tumultuous year of temptation, loss, and strife have led her to the ultimate turning point, her imminent choice to either join the dark but seductive world of immortals or to pursue a fully human life has become the thread from which the fates of two tribes hangs. This astonishing, breathlessly anticipated conclusion to the Twilight Saga illuminates the secrets and mysteries of this spellbinding romantic epic. (laughs) listeners can't see our faces but who has has problems with the copy i just read (laughs) and you you skipped over the one because it's not worth reading but my gosh no this isn't it's in the dust jacket i was reading Mm -hmm. along with you (laughs) yeah right it's It's wild i hate irrevocably in love give me a break do you want to read what i skipped Now that Bella has made her decision, a startling chain of unprecedented events is about to unfold with potentially devastating and unfathomable consequences. Just when the frayed strands of Bella's life, first discovered in twilight, then scattered and torn in new moon and eclipse, seem ready to heal and knit together, could they be destroyed forever? Wow. That doesn't make any sense. It makes zero sense. It makes only slightly less sense than what I read. <laughs> I mean, in if we're going with like the cover of Eclipse as this torn ribbon, sure, um, whatever, I guess. But then like, if you look at the cover of Breaking Dawn and you have chess pieces, I'm confused about the like frayed yeah. theme. I don't understand. This, oh, I have so many issues with this book. So (laughs) high level, just because that makes zero sense. Uh, Bella and Edward get married. Uh, Renee has no objections to this. She's only mad that she didn't find out sooner. Uh, Let's see, they get married. Uh, They go on their honeymoon. Uh Uh-oh, Bella's pregnant oopsie doodles didn't know that could happen even though we know stories of like vampires and other cultures who specifically do this to eat pregnant women uh gotta love the gotta love that they're so smart and so foolish uh they come back edward wants to have it taken care of bella immediately having never had a maternal instinct in her body says i will have this baby now uh, at like literally pages before she finds out she's pregnant, she's like, "Oh, I don't need a child with you, Edward. I just need you." And then the moment she's like, "Nope, that's it." Uh, so she enlists the help of Rosalie to keep her safe from anyone, because of course Rose wanted a baby, wants the baby in her life. Uh, Bella drops a cup of blood that she was drinking and literally cracks in half like a glow stick and goes into delivery. Uh, so they get the baby out. Edward and Jacob have to tag team this process. I've murdered Emma with the glow stick. (laughs) It's like laughing, (laughs) crying so hard. So, uh, this is kind of the culmination of the love triangle because Edward, um, 
how is it set up in the book? Uh, Carlisle and Esme are out hunting with Jasper, I uh, Jasper and Alice. So like the doctor's gone. Uh, the only one who can now safely deliver the baby and turn Bella is Edward, Rosalie, and Jacob. So they're kind of set up. Jacob is keeping her heart pumping via CPR. Edward is getting the baby out. And then on their way they go. Rosalie's got the baby. She's trying to stay away from the smell of all that blood. Bella gets turned. My gripe with the movie here is that the movie definitely presents it as like, what if she doesn't make it? Where in the book, because like I was excited to get to this point in the book where I was like, okay, it was very dramatic in the movie. In the book, literally he gets the venom in and he's like, okay, now we just wait. Like not even worried a little bit. Whereas the movie's like, she might not make it. Then there, you know, we'll, we'll talk about imprinting in a minute, but let's just get through the high points. I say to myself, I'm the one talking and dragging us through this. Um, <laughs> So then one day, uh, they name the baby Renesme. I That will be the only time in this episode that I will say it properly. From here on out, it will be any R word I can come up with. Um, so Radiator, Jacob, and Bella are out hunting one day. And their friend, Emma, help me, what's her name? Oh. Kate? No. No, it's not Kate. It's one of the other women from their Alaska family. They're, what is it, right. the Denali? So the, the Denali coven. coven. Um, Why am I blank on her? She's just like pretty and blonde. <laughs> right, she's the one who fell in love with Laurent. She's the one who fell in love with Laurent. Uh, she's still not over the fact that he got murdered even though he was trying to kill Bella. Uh, so then they see that, uh-oh, there is this young child with vampire abilities then we learn the story of immortal children. There was a time where vampires were turning children. They were very unstable. It was a problem. The Denali Coven, their mother, she had an immortal child. She was killed for this. So this vampire who is very upset because she's lost Laurent, she's got all of these emotions, the emotion of losing her mother, all of this ties together. She heads to the Voltori and says, look what they've done. So before the Volturi can come, they know the Cullens know that they have to get a bunch of witnesses on their side to say, this is not an immortal child, blah, blah, blah. They all come together and they start to experiment with Bella's power. What can she do? Uh, what's everything? And then uh, it culminates in a battle scene uh, and then the end of the series. So the high level, let's start breaking down from there. My first question, I saw a TikTok. I believe I either sent it to both of you or I only sent it to Emma uh, because I send Emma too many TikToks that are Twilight related. Uh, Someone online theorizes that what if Jacob never imprinted on Bella because of her ability? What if because she was a shield, it kept the werewolf imprinting from working? Thoughts. (laughs) I have to talk about that first. I saw that theory and I think it's, I don't hate it Mm -hmm. because then the minute that Rigatoni is Mm -hmm. out of Bella, he imprints on her. Right. Mm -hmm. 
like outside of the shield. I don't hate it, but I also like, it's just absurd. Well, because the only conjecture before was like, at some point he says in the book that remember days ago when you didn't want me to leave your side, that was radish. She wanted me there. (laughs) And, (laughs) and, and I mean, like, I love that. Uh, I mean, I don't, I hate it. I think it's gross. I think it's weird, but whatever, not for me to judge. Actually it is. That's what this podcast is. It's for me to judge. The idea that most often gets thrown around in the fan base is that he was never truly attracted to Bella. He was attracted to what Bella would deliver him. Yes. And that's why I find this theory a little more appealing that like he might've imprinted on Bella if she hadn't been a human shield. Uh, But then like her child was also a, a good second option. Like, Oh, this is, this is part of, I don't know. For some reason that makes it, it's slightly less bad to me. It, the second theory is so icky because mm-hmm. what it is implying is that he imprinted on like one of her eggs. That, oh. oh God, you're that right. Is, that is what the second one is implying. And like I, and I, that's oh. the one I have heard before for a mm-hmm. long time was that he had, him. it wasn't that he was imprinting on her. He was imprinting on Yes, like what she would later produce. But that means that he is imprinting on her eggs, which is so gross to think about. It's so gross. So I'm I'm very much a fan of I guess I'm just presenting it. (laughs) Well, so here's what I think about Breaking Dawn. Yeah, please. This book, everybody gets what they want, (laughs) regardless of sense. (laughs) Regard regardless of what's happened in the other books regardless laid of out. logistics yeah. regardless like edward gets to marry bella which was like his huge stipulation and they get to have a baby which is like that that big whole thing that she's giving up by being turned into a vampire she's mm-hmm. giving up her human life she's giving up children she's giving up whatever so like all of the things that they put in contrast is like you can have this or this no, in this book, you can have it all. So we get married, Absolutely. we get to have a baby, we get to be an immortal, we get to, you know, have this nice little bow of like, Jacob doesn't end up with Bella, but oh, look how nice he ends up with Rigatoni and we can all be together in a family and Jacob's going to call Edward dad and it's going to be so cute. Like all of these things, I think in this universe fall neatly into place to wrap everything up regardless of how we got there it's a lot of very intense wish fulfillment yes and it i don't i don't know i having having never uh read these until adulthood my impression was that they had a lot of morality to them that there was a lot of heavy moral undertones and it's it's strange to me that I didn't find a lot of morality in these. I found a lot of questionable teachings uh, and a lot of bad life lessons, but it then wraps into the kind of like you can have your cake and eat it too, which to me is kind of amoral, if that makes sense. Like, I Mm. I don't know. I, I, I find the message at the end to not match with what I think the original intention was. I mean, everyone gets what they want. No, that, I think that, that makes sense. And what's wild about this book 
is there's like so much plot here. We've had eclipse where nothing has happened until the last it's like Bella's in danger. And that's like the whole premise. This, we really jam pack a lot in. They jam pack a lot in when there are now kind of no stakes. I just, it's weird to me how, it's weird to me how we got here. Because like, I would say for the first three books, Bella's pretty adamant about like, we're not getting married. I'm 18. That's ridiculous. Like, right. you know, and then I I don't care about being a mom. I just want to be a vampire. I'm ready to commit to you for eternity, but not we're not getting married. Like just mm-hmm. all these things that I don't I don't know if they necessarily make sense or like yeah. they hold it doesn't seem to hold true. Like she seems very easily they everyone seems very easily swayed to just yeah. like let's all just get what we want. Right. And there's a part in this book where I think we're reading it from Jacob's perspective. Edward is talking to him about Bella and how she won't let anybody interfere with the pregnancy. She won't let anybody get near her. Edward is like distraught that he's Mm -hmm. subjected her to this, you know, situation that he like offers up Bella to Jacob almost to be like, well, she can have a baby with you. Like if we can just get her out of this situation. If we could just convince her to not have this baby, mm-hmm. then you we guys can get can her go, a baby. Right. We can get yeah. her a baby. And there's so many things in this book that are just so odd. It's also like, like kind of, I don't know, misogynistic in that the only way Bella discovers her true happiness is to be a married mom. Like there's no option. Right. I, like oh, there Jill's, was Jill's got yeah Jill's I, got it. I I think that and I think the whole honeymoon situation mm-hmm. doesn't he say he like they do and then he thinks he's like hurt her and is like yeah I'm not gonna do it we won't do it until you've been ter-. like it's a whole like it's a mess and I mm-hmm. I think that is like that Mormon morality thing yeah. is a lot of like that I think yeah. that speaks a lot to perhaps Stephanie's own relationship with certain things mm-hmm. because the whole honeymoon thing is just, it is a, it is a mess from like so many yeah. different layers of just, you know, uh, like you just absolutely. like, you just got married and his thing is like, I was a monster to do this, buddy. What the, what are you doing? <laughs> Like that is so right. That is so manipulative and abusive right there to just it's all of a sudden just be like, no, I'm a monster. Make me feel better for marrying you. It's that whole conversation of like his his morality and like I I don't pass any judgment on how people choose to introduce uh, you know, romance, sex, any of that sure. into their own life. Uh, right. You know, Edward's boundary is that he wants to be married and Bella's concession to that is that she wants to still be human right but then she spends the majority of their honeymoon coercing him after he's already like hey I really hurt you unintentionally because I'm so much stronger and like you know there's still a whole abusive setup of like oh I just can't control myself like that's yucky but also she was like you don't love me if you don't want to sleep with me like both of them, uh, the whole, yeah, so the whole bad. thing is bad and not 
and it's not everyone should just like it is so unhealthy it's not healthy it's not a good portrayal no not at all and nobody it's such a weird like they'll draw these hard and fast like lines and then immediately like cross them cross them obliterate them from existence they just don't have any there's no real like communication there's no real like respect for boundaries it's just all this like like manipulation back and forth and like all disguised as love and doing what's right right like love and obsession and it's just it's no it's a it's it's no bad it's bad Um, fun fact for uh (laughs) just just to bring some levity fun fact specifically about the scenes we're talking about about the honeymoon sex scene Ooh, let's get steamy for a moment uh they had to significantly edit the original cut because it would have taken twilight from its whole series of a pg-13 to having the final movie be rated r because there was too much of rob pat's butt and thrusting those are legitimate notes i mean i uh, I would watch that director's cut Uh, (laughs) i mean (laughs) i mean yeah i I wouldn't i don't disagree jill i wouldn't hate that but yeah i mean it's already two parts yeah breaking down one and two which part one was just like but that is also a wild thing that the way that this that the director said this is the way i'm going yeah uh they're like we have to reel you back in bud yeah, I think, well, I think for commercial appeal as well, bigger mm. box office numbers if it's PG-13. Yeah, PG-13. Right. Um, I'll throw out some other fun Breaking Dawn movie facts before we, you know, kind of continue with our next thoughts. So let's see. We all know Stephanie Meyer was in Twilight. She was in the diner. But did you also know that she is a guest at Edward and Bella's wedding? Yeah, she's a guest at Edward and Bella's wedding. That's my that's my. I was like, yes, I knew that. <laughs> I was yes, like, yeah, did. Joe, give me something I don't that. know. I didn't uh, know that. Kristen wore a Volturi cape every time filming paused to make sure her wedding dress stayed a mystery, which is a lot considering <laughs> that it was highly unremarkable. Uh, let's see. Rob Pat took boating lessons for Breaking Dawn Part One. Uh, too bad he crashed both during his lessons and while filming, so then he couldn't actually boat for the scenes that we see <laughs> that, that was a good fun fact yep. that was, a good that fun was fact. funny uh lucy hale aria from pretty little liars auditioned for the role of jane no i know right and dakota mm-hmm. fanning only says one word in breaking dawn part two which is uh i think it's pain <laughs> i don't know oh. I, don't, I don't have it i don't have it here oh I don't, I don't <laughs> so you know have you I don't know if you've seen the TikTok when talk about breaking down part two where there's um the scene where part two part one the scene where Bella is trying on her wedding shoes and practicing walking with Alice outside of the Cohen's house and then at one point she takes the shoes off puts her sneakers on and walks off what looks like screen she must have thought they weren't filming her or like that they couldn't see her still because Kristen Stewart starts skipping and it looks so weird and out of character for Bella, but it's in the, it's in the movie where she's like skipping off the deck, like away from the whatever. And um, that. that's hilarious to me that they kept that in or didn't notice that yeah. she was so out of character, I like skipping away. So much. 
Um, oh, I do want to throw this in. How could I miss this for Eclipse? Sorry, listeners, backing up here. Uh, both Tom Felton and Channing Tatum were in the run to play Riley. No. What? No. <laughs> I know. No. I actually really like the guy they got who's mm-hmm. Australian and quite hunky. It was it was definitely fitting. He definitely hit it uh in in the right way. Like not no, not the other one. Uh, ones. Let's That's see. Where I think you risk if they're too notable. It takes mm-hmm. you out of the Right. Especially for while yes, Riley is kind of a major player, he doesn't exist in scenes. He's there for moments. So mm-hmm. if it were to be someone like Channing Tatum, number one, how ridiculous. Uh, but number two, every time he comes on screen, you're going to go, why are you here? Mm-hmm. It'd be like casting The Rock yeah. as Carlisle. Right. You, it's, you pull it out too much. I just want to shout out uh, the idea for the book Twilight came to Stephanie in a dream on June 2nd, 2003. And Twilight took her three months to write. That's extremely specific. What? Did she have like a dream journal where she wrote down like, had yep. a thought? Yep. And uh, the entire saga won the 2009 Kids' Choice Award for Favorite Book. And it has sold over 116 million copies and has been translated into over 38 languages. Jasper's name came from Confederate Army roll calls, Jasper and Whitlock. Uh, Who knows why she felt the need to to make him a part of the Confederate Army. But there is a whole trend. Right. Yeah, right. We know why. We do know why. But it also is mirrored in True Blood, Vampire Academy. Is that is that the other series? I think that's right. They all feature Southern. former Confederate so soldier weird. vampires. Southern vampires. So weird. I don't get it. You'd think that immortal understand. beings wouldn't get involved at all in human affairs, but also that they would know more. I it's so weird. Yeah. The, why, there are two. Why would you pick that side mm-hmm, to make? Mm-hmm. Well, it's weird. I don't know if we talked about. Did we talk about this in part one? Because if we did, where like Stephanie Meyer's research for certain things, but so not intense. others. Oh yeah, is yeah. so odd. Like she researched that Jasper was an accurate name and that Whitlock was an <laughs> accurate name, but like she didn't it didn't occur to her that like electroshock didn't exist for alice to have no memory rosalie's family of bankers would not be thriving in the great depression yeah exactly like that there are things like i feel like you immediately poke a hole into like the whole thing crumbles but that she needed to research you know such specific things like jasper's name it doesn't make any sense to me right uh, we also, uh, the, the other thing that I find very interesting is, and I guess it's just something we could talk about as we wrap up our thoughts on Breaking Dawn. Listeners, it looks like it's your lucky day. You will be getting a part three in which we talk about ancillary materials. Um, one thing I want to talk about for Breaking Dawn is the fact that Bella does not experience the newborn track. And both of your thoughts on that. I mean, we just had a whole book about newborn vampires that they're out of control uh, and that that is the process and that like this could be the reality for six months to a year which is also 
I guess to kind of bring back to what we were talking about before, predicates a lot of Bella's decisions about sex with Edward, being with her family, seeing Charlie. Like she wants all of these things because she still wants her primary emotion to be an actual emotion compared to thirst. But they have described and like stockpiled blood and all sorts of different things for the reality that she will not be like that for anywhere from six months to a year and a half longer than they were in a relationship she could experience newborn thirst so what are your thoughts that uh, on why stephanie meyer does not make bella experience or what do you if what's your headcanon why does bella not get thirsty or she does get thirsty but why is why is she not a newborn basically because it would detract from because it would detract from the the relationship she has with Edward and with her her daughter Nessie. It, yeah, I think it would be distracting. And I think in this, everybody gets what they want, gets what they want, gets what they want, and there's no real ramifications there. Like she right. gets to be a vampire, but she does. She's superior. Her skills are elite. She doesn't succumb to like the thirst like everyone else does. Like, I I think it's just easier. It's a nicer way to wrap everything up. There's Mm -hmm. no like messy consequences, you know, of anything. Like it gets, it's like a perfectly tied bow to all of the things and obstacles that were thrown in front of them. Mm -hmm. It's easy to overcome. Yeah, I think like, yeah, it falls under that like plot armor thing where it just doesn't affect her. But also you'd have to describe it. Like you'd have to Mm. write about what Mm -hmm. that's like. I mean, well, I guess with like, there's Midnight Sun, but you know what I mean? Like, well, and she she does that with Brie Tanner, but that did come out after Breaking Dawn. That's why I'm wondering just with like Bella in particular, Mm -hmm. you know, she would have thought about these things with the other vampires, but maybe she just did not want to go there with Bella. The only thing that's presented in the book is the idea that she made a choice compared to everyone else where she had a need, like they were going to die. And so they were being saved, but she knew what she was walking into. Um, I mean, I guess the only way I would shade it on my end with that logic is like, it once again puts Bella's morality as, as the message. Like she chose to be better than that. She uh wanted to feel human so she said forget basic instinct or anything else i will not exist gotta do it for radicchio i'm just gonna think of every single r (laughs) but also also are you telling me that she is the first person Mm-hmm. to ever choose to be a vampire and this has never come up before and there aren't like right. rumors of some vampire over the thousands of years who made that choice and was not that's a very fascinating point and i stand with you i think the only thing this book provides is the lore that while for three and a half whole books we are expected to believe that the cullens are the absolute best and they know everything right and in this book alone we learn that they know absolutely nothing they know nothing about the uh, you know the impact of human vampire relations they know nothing about other vampires in their world they are not researched they don't know a single thing there is to know 
about their own existence and it's flooring we culminate in the fight scene where they have brought together every vampire they know all of whom want to like stand by their side including the ancient ones who were in control before the Volturi but who are now physically in better shape than the Volturi because basically if a vampire sits for too long they start to decay Um, and since the Volturi have minions do everything for them they're becoming decayed basically they show up in this field they kill the one who reported Rigatoni and from there they start to threaten a fight they start to test but Bella has superpowers she has not only learned that her power isn't that she learned how to control her thirst her power is that she is a shield and a better one than Aros because Aros needs to touch him and can only shield him Bella can shield literally everyone in like a a month's time, probably not even that long because that'd make the timeline too long for them being together. Uh, She shields every vampire on her side and every werewolf. So the fight doesn't even happen. And they go, okay, I guess we don't want to die today. The Volturi leave. And that's that. Another vaguely anticlimactic ending where the uh, movie was better. And we learn that, I I guess the the main driving force behind learning is that uh, there is another half-human, half-vampire who comes to speak for, I guess I'll say it right, Renesme, and says that, hello, hi, I'm 125 years old, Uh, I am chill as all get out, and this is what she can look forward to, she's no danger, and she'll grow. So we learn the life cycle that by 17, I believe, because uh, everything has to be 17. That's how old Edward is. Um, by by 17, Radicchio will be fully <laughs> will be fully matured, and she will basically never age again from that point on. Um, yeah, and yep. then the books basically just end with the idea that the Cullens live happy together forever. Um, Charlie plays grandpa, even though he doesn't really know, but he knows it's very wink, wink. Uh, and Jacob will one day, I don't know. I don't want to think about it. Yeah. So basically the, it ends with, I'm just, ugh. my family was reunited as Bella says at the end of the book. Um, her daughter, my daughter had a beautiful future stretching out endlessly in front of her. Um, she goes on to say like her dad has found Sue. So that's all like neatly wrapped up. Mm -hmm. And she was, she says, I was with Edward forever. And then it's like pages of being sappy about Edward. Um, I think she uses her shield. She like pushes her shield off of herself so he can hear her thoughts for once. Yes. Um, And then it ends with them just being sappy and saying forever and forever and forever and like together forever. Um, And then we continued blissfully into this small but perfect piece of our forever. The end. Uh, Fun fact, the final word of the film series is the same as the book, forever. Cheesy, yeah. So gross. Uh, Yes, she one day pushes her shield off long enough so Edward can hear what her brain sounds like. Uh, Oh, it's (sighs) Irina. 
Irina. Irina. Okay. The one that reports them to the Volturi and Kate's the mad. one who has electric skin. Yes. There we go. I... And scene. <sighs> I appreciate that in the movie. It turns out Arena doesn't die, right? She actually gets saved in the movie. No. No, she dies in the movie too. No, she dies. In the movie I thought too. she died in Alice's flash or in Alice's vision, but ended up alive. But you're right. That's yeah. No, I think she dies regardless. She dies no matter she what. Wasted everybody's time. I mean, was deserved. Was incorrect about she was the siding whole, with like, Laurent. immortal child versus whatever radishes. So, yeah, I guess that brings up the great point of, like, they were afraid that they were going to have to turn radish because they thought the path at which she was aging, she was going to, like, be dead by seven instead of, like, oh, it eventually slows down. But so I want to take a moment to talk about parallels. There are interesting parallels in this whole series that I don't feel like I have heard enough discourse about. Number one imprinting versus what vampires do uh, I'll, I'll expand on that in a minute the other thing I really want to talk about is uh, we saw with the Volturi that if they set you know that with the ancient ones and the Volturi they sit too long vampires become less effective same thing if werewolves stop turning they eventually can no longer turn and then start to age again and then will die but if a werewolf continues to turn they could, in theory, live for a very long time, if not forever. Um, thoughts on these parallels to both of you? I just, I just think, like on the the partnering slash imprinting thing, the vampires all seem to be discussed. Well, I am. It is gross that in very in two situations in the book there are infants involved, but in in both sides, like the vampires don't seem to understand how werewolves just get to do this. Whereas like the whole first like majority of the two thirds of the book is predicated because Edward kills a vampire's mate. How can you not, it, it goes beyond just revenge or like, like there is a level of cosmic intervention there. Anyway, I just don't feel like anyone's talking about it and I want us to talk about it. I think, yeah, to your credit, I don't know if I ever actually put that much emphasis on the whole mated thing mm -hmm. yeah. even though I know it's very clearly mentioned in the first few books and the whole that's the whole issue with yeah James and Victoria is they were more than just like coupled up right um no yeah I, I don't know why it's uh different other than it's with adults <laughs> it's that's just, as good a reason as any I, I guess very true or I, yeah, or in just this world, they, she just doesn't make as big a deal about it as she does the imprinting. They just have, they seem to have strange, like superiority complexes, the vampires. And I don't know. I think a lot of the, although I do think a lot of the indigenous mythology that is mentioned in this is just not great either. Like she does not do a great job. Yes. At explaining I, it, at, at incorporating being it, and being of respectful it. of it. So I'm wondering if maybe that as well was just, I don't know how much of it is her fascination with, mm -hmm. you know, any of those or stories or 
Yeah. Of like, it's more, you know, mythological. I don't know if that's the right word or like, it's more mysterious. It's more, you know, based in these other things that I'm curious if that was a part of the thought process, like mating Mm -hmm. is over here on this side and Mm -hmm. the imprinting, you know, is more tied to, you know, Jacob and his family and the tribe. I don't know. I I think it was probably poorly flushed out. That's fair. I know I'm giving her too much credit, aren't I? Any final thoughts to wrap up Breaking Dawn? Watch the movies. (laughs) Agreed. Listen to the soundtrack. That's the thought for the whole series. Watch the movies, listen to the soundtrack. Um, I hate quit this one when I first read it and never finished it. Did I ever watch the movies? And I don't really regret that. Yeah. Or just um, read what you want. That's not this. Yeah. Yeah. This is just us digesting uh, a lot of stuff. And I will say I am grateful. I read this as an adult, especially as an adult in therapy uh, compared to, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> When I read it as an actual teen and I'm now grappling with weird nostalgia, but also like adult insight. Oh, Emma, can -hmm. you share your Breaking Dawn (laughs) story, your your book story? I can very quickly. Please. Uh, So Breaking Dawn came out in 2008, question mark. Um, And I had read the book's prior because that was my demographic it was really cool and I this was back in the day guys like we you couldn't I mean you probably could have but like I wasn't just hopping online to order it like we were I was gonna go to the store and I forgot it was coming out because again like I don't know if I had a huge awareness of like the publishing schedule back then um but we were on a road trip as a family when this book came out and I had called ahead to the Barnes and Noble of the town where we would be at on vacation. And I said, do you have copies of this book in stock when it comes out? I need one. I absolutely must have it immediately. What can you do? And they took down my name and phone number and they're like, you're fine. Just come at midnight. We're doing a premiere. Like we're doing a lunch, come at midnight and you can get a book. And so my father took me to the Barnes and Noble in this town in the middle of Oregon uh, to get this book, having no clue that it was a full-blown event. People were dressed up. People had fangs. They had fake blood. There were people wearing wedding gowns. Like it was a full thing. And my father was like, what are we doing? And I was like, getting a book. go up, get the book, like try to get the book. And they go, oh no, you needed to like pre-order this weeks ago. You needed to reserve it through this process that I couldn't even tell you what the process (laughs) was. And my dad was just like, no, my daughter will get a book. You will get you. We will have a book. Uh, And so thank you to my father. I secured the book and was able to read it on vacation Um, and I remember being so pumped to have it the day it came out. Um, but I honestly don't remember my feelings in reading this other than it was probably like a bunch of nonsense. And you questioned why she named her child restaurant. (laughs) Yes. Why you would name your child radicchio, rigatoni, radish, etc. Exactly. 
Well, Emma, thank you for that. Thank you for sharing that story. I love it. Good Um, job, Emma's dad. I know, honestly, all credit to my father for just not taking anyone's nonsense and getting me the book I wanted. You know, worth it or not, I don't know, but it's a funny story. The real MVP. Make sure your kid has books. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, listeners, we will be back in August to talk about Midnight Sun and Life and Death. Um, It may just be Emma and I. I don't know if we'll make Jill suffer through that. But Jill, you're more than welcome to be there. I hope you come. I want to see the look on your face every time I say something wild from these books. I mean, you know what? That's fair. I've not read them. And so it'll be just like total. I'll be going in. (laughs) Fresh reaction. Foreknowledge. Yeah, fresh reaction. I love it. So never mind. It will be the three of us. I'm going to make Jill suffer through for, for my own enjoyment of her reactions but listeners yeah you can look forward to that in august mainly because we have a super packed super exciting calendar for y'all coming up in the next several many weeks so thank you all for listening to today's episode of the professional book nerds podcast twilight saga retrospective part two i hope you enjoyed if once again you want to hear us talk about other books like this send us an email, professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. Thank you all so much for joining us today. Emma, Jill, thank you for indulging me in what started as a what felt like a punishment on my soul to what has become a true joy. Anytime. Happy listening. Yeah, happy listening. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode on overdrive.com and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen Podcasts, visit evergreenpodcast.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Emma Dwyer, Jill Grunewald, and Joe Skelly, and presented by Overdrive. To learn more, visit professionalbooknerds.com. Bonjour. This is Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. I'm Andrew Pryor. And every week, I bring you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food, whether they're here in France like me or from around the world. Each week, we dive into a specific topic, be it a French dish, an ingredient, or a French cuisine cooking technique. My guests are all about French food. So come join me on Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. Bon app.